Alumni Audio Lab. Welcome to the Alumni Audio Lab. This is our episode number 19. The Alumni Audio Lab is a podcast from the OEAD. This is the Austrian Agency for International Mobility and Cooperation in Education, Science and Research. My name is Doris Bauer and I talk with alumni who have studied or done research in Austria within different scholarship programs and in many different disciplines. We talk about the life, the research, the background, sometimes also about current events and developments. And I have the pleasure to be here today with Adrian Prieto from Spain, from Madrid. He is in Vienna now for three months to investigate the influence of the Viennese architect Josef Hoffmann on the work of Robert Mullard-Stevens from Paris. Adrian, you started your career in interior design and law. Interesting combination. <laughs> But then you switched with the master's degree to contemporary art history and visual culture. Now you're working on your PhD thesis on Mullet-Stevens and Hoffman's connection. How close to the end are you? Uh, I'm on my last year right now, in the last month. Then we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yes. It's good to see you. Thank you for coming. Thank you to you for the invitation. Really glad to be here. You started your career, as I said, with two bachelor's degrees in interior design and in law. Mm -hmm. Very nice combination, very interesting combination. <laughs> Can you tell us more about these choices? Yes. In fact, the right order would be like I start law and within my studies, in fact, in my third year of five of a law degree, a really um, like old program based on really the roots of the law and with the specialization on philosophy. I found it somehow really unsatisfying. And in my third year, I also decided uh, I will need uh, to complement my interest with something else. And I applied for uh, the interior design, which actually is on the architectural, uh, architectural uh, university. And I got accepted also in this program and uh, from my third year I had been studying in the morning. I used to attend the classes at law and in the afternoons so I used to go to the workshops and the seminars in the interior design uh, school, which I should say I never finished the degree. <laughs> But uh, I the, finished the, the degree. degree. I finished the law degree. Okay. I didn't finish the design ah, degree. Okay. Yes. But I and like... Like I, I could work as a lawyer <laughs> if I will, but if I would be interested. Yeah, but you don't work as a lawyer, but you switched to, or you rather walked away to the design and architectural with your master's degree. What was that w about? Mm, I should say, like, even though I don't work as a lawyer, it has been very present for me these five years of study and somehow they kind of built my mind in a way in the way uh, you resolve problems and the way you um, understand certain facts and realities and different things. And I, I should say when I finish my studies and I have uh, in mind to continue uh, my master uh, studies or further in other subjects more related with the cultural fight, It had been a really effort for me to change certain ways, uh, like certain ways that are really 
present in, in, in the way a lawyer work or uh, and the, you resolve problems in law. For example, in the way I was writing first when I started my master's degree, my master's studies on contemporary art history and uh, visual studies. The Reina Sofia Museum, which have uh, its own uh, studies center with a really avant-garde uh, program for uh, studies which combined uh, practice in the museum, which like uh, different seminars and guests and really um, intense and interesting program and like um, approach to what means to be a cultural worker in the mm -hmm. end, like in a really general sense and concept. And, and it was no problem to do a master without a finished bachelor in this field of, re of studies? I thought it will be mm -hmm. when I apply. Also, at that time, it was the fourth year of uh, this program running and It's uh, kind of prestigious in Spain. It is a lot of people who actually want to have a place uh, on every year's uh, seminars and masters. And yeah, I thought it would be a problem. And this is another thing really important on my path, on my academic and study path with as soon as you change clear like way to do things as soon as you take another choices, even though at the end they are not so far away once for others and they are really connected somehow things get a bit more complicated to explain yourself sometimes and to make yourself to bring scandal coherent to what you are doing and what you want to do and I think this had been the first time when I realized like things could be a bit tricky or could get a bit more difficult to explain why I took this decision when it's not like the natural way to, to continue after five years studying another subject. But besides uh, that, um, I think um, somehow it makes totally sense, like people from like an earlier studies on a certain subject could uh, apply their knowledge and their mental structure to some other areas of knowledge, which make it m really interesting sometimes and also necessary like to break these narrow lines totally and what was your topic in your master's degree it was mm -hmm. already uh, robert mallet stevens ah. i started already working there on his work and i think when i started my master's studies it was really overwhelming to have this freedom to choose which topics I am interested in because I had been for five years studying like a really subtle amount of uh, different classes and seminars and which is pre-established from the beginning there are nothing you can choose there at least in the old program I did and they are not even practical it's always like really uh, based on this ancient way to study humanistics which is, are based on memorization and knowledge and hours of hours of reading and studying and so for me it was really overwhelming this freedom to be able to choose what I want to do and also to be the one who decide which is uh, my researching interest or on which I spend time studying on which topic or uh, artist or it depends the uh, The seminar you are but at that time I was already really interested on architectural history I had been always very interested on architecture since my childhood why 
I think it had been really present also during my childhood. Like my parents have a lot of a lot of books from architecture, and I remember always to go through all of these uh, iconic houses or different like modern architecture, <laughs> baroque. Uh, I don't know. And yeah, I think also from the beginning, as uh, these early thoughts we have of what we want to become when we are older, it was always for me. I I had a clear uh, thought to become uh, an architect. Um, I don't know in which moment I decided to, to choose to <laughs> to love, but something happened there. Uh, but I had been thinking about a lot, and I think actually I had been dealing with most of my life also thinking how is my relation with architecture. I have been trying f- through interior design for a more practical way when I also didn't find myself so comfortable. And... I think when I finally understood like architectural history and also apply skills as a as a student, I uh, I, I was uh, of low like you have a lot of capacity to concentrate on topics and be precise and resolve problems and look for facts, which is not so far away for what a research also need to do. I think you need certain skills or at least train certain skills. I already had at that moment, and it was really satisfying for me to find myself comfortable on this approach to architecture through history mm. and through art history. And yes, it, it was really like a moment when I understood I was doing the at least the right thing <laughs> for that time. <laughs> and you also worked two or three times at, as an exhibition coordinator mm-hmm. in Spain and also in, in Colombia. Have I seen right? Bogota? I work for a Colombian art uh, ah, gallery. okay. Yes. But in Spain. I was in Madrid, yes. It's okay. a, a gallery who actually have two different galleries, one in Colombia and one in Madrid. Okay. I had I had been working for several years in coordination. I also did my practical in Reina Sofia exhibition coordination department, which basically is producing and dealing with all the administrative and uh, organization things behind the the, the, the exhibitions and in relation with the artists. And, and these were um, art exhibitions, mm-hmm. also um, paintings or design? Any kind. In Reina were mostly our contemporary art exhibitions. And when I was working in the gallery, they were contemporary art. I should say also it brings a really interesting training, a really dynamic. Uh, actually, you need a lot of dynamic skills to deal with uh, resolving problems and uh, being in relation with the artists, with the collectors, with the, uh, the rest of the galleries. You attend the art fairs, which are an entire system. I found it very interesting, but at the same time, when I was still working in the gallery, it was my first year of research. It was the fir- the year when I got accepted on the program. I am doing my studies on architectural history, and I really soon understood it's not compatible to keep like a fully professional and job, which requires a lot of time, energy, and skills and flexibility with what means to make and to do and to work as a researcher and do a PhD thesis. So, yes, after that, I just 
decided I need to commit with my research and try to make it work as well, like as a only as an only job. Yes, and you did. And since you started in 2013, I think, mm -hmm. went to Paris mm -hmm. and to Vienna also before. And now yeah. you're back in Vienna. Yes. What were these foreign exchange um, programs or um, stays about? The thing is, when I start to work on the on, on my master uh, studies. Oh, maybe. Oh, maybe we start different. Who is Robert Mullet Stevens? Let's, totally. Um, Let's because that it. maybe explains the question. <laughs> it explains the question. Um, I start to work on Robert Mullet Stevens uh, in, during my master's studies, uh, which actually is an avant-garde or a modern uh, architect from France, which developed most of his work in France and some projects also in other European countries, but not realized. In which time are we now? We are speaking interwar period. Like most his, the most of his production are made between 1924, 25 is when he started to practice himself as an architect because before he was doing scenographies, he was uh, making an enormous amount of projects, not realized, and drawings and working in fashion. It was a really complex and difficult to explain variety of work at that time. Basically, it's like an architect from the period of the interwar um, in France, mostly. And my earliest approach, approach to him was uh, a research on a photograph I found on a villa he has in Hier, in South France, very close to Marseille. It's one of his most iconic buildings. And it's a beautiful villa he built for the Bitcoin de Noailles, which are also very famous icons from the avant-garde. They were uh, supporting really uh, uh, well-known artists. As they support films, different writers, artists, dancers. They were like a mécène, like a mécène from the arts. And... I realized uh, when I was uh, writing my master thesis on this photograph I found of the villa, which is uh, one of uh, a photo, a very interesting photograph from the terrace, where so in a really small room, which actually was an open room in the terrace, with a bed who was movable and which made a lot some different tubular furniture around, and I built a whole research from this photo about the villa and also like s different questions around Robert Mallet Stevens' work. And at that time I realized there are several problems about, around his work. Around his work or around his reception? I will explain the conditions, I think. Like there are s several conditions you need to, to know about uh, what means to research on his work. He first of all destroyed the archive, so the available amount of material to research and possibility to find new evidence are really small. Is it known why he destroyed it? It's known, but the real reasons are not clear. He just, before he died, decided in his will, like someone should destroy his archive after he, he passed away. And as used to happen many times in history someone did and unfortunately and um, it just remains 
part of his archive from the agency, from the architectural agency, and uh, the material who was left on other people around him, other architects, friends, collectors, family, but more or less the, the, the whole amount of material available is localized. People already know like how much is left about it, so the possibility you really found new evidences on him is not impossible, but uh, require another ways. Let's say it like that. I think this conditionate a lot, a lot the way you need to think how approach his work. And at that moment, when I was studying my master, I realized how many unresolved questions there are around him, and how many misunderstandings. Somehow misunderstandings who are still there, and they are sometimes even evidence, but which are the result of like not enough analysis on his work. I mean, during since the 80s, he has been a different researchers and institutions interested in him, and his work had left a bit the darkness in which it was. But still, like most of the material had not been analyzed in a critical way. And this is really evident when you approach him and... There were at that moment like several questions which I found extremely interesting also from the historiographical point of view, like how it's possible like a pioneer from the modern architecture, which actually during some years were even more well-known or famous than Le Corbusier, and have a really uh, interesting approach to modern architecture and uh, quite enough amount of work to go through and to analyze how it could be so left on the margin and so ignored by the historiography. And besides that, how it's possible, like still today, we are repeating certain uh, like ideas or keeping the position like histori historiography give to him. I've read uh, during my research, I find designations for Mallet Stevens from his secondary class architect not known outside from Paris anymore to the greatest influence between the world wars. What is your opinion or what is closer to the, in your opinion, real Mallet Stevens? That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think somehow both are true. He is one of the pioneers of the modern architecture in France with a really interesting work when you compare with how modern architecture was developed in Europe and at the same time in the way the main narrative of modern architecture has been built from different critics and different like iconic architects which became the main canon to understand what modern architecture means and also what it means to be a modern architect based on that on that understanding, on really this close understanding of modern architecture, of modern movement, he's somehow not modern enough. He's uh, more like a decor. He's more like someone which aptitude and architectural ideals are not so close with 
what should be or what the times demand in, mm -hmm. so in this social sense, for example, like the development of social projects or the fact that he was always or uh, most of the time working for a certain kind of clients or a certain kind of project as villas or... And also there are an uh, important amount of misfortune on his work and he has really like bad critics for some relevant historians at that time as uh, Gideon, which actually creates what modern architecture or the architecture on the interwar period means for many people. And he just gets really he just get on the margins because of this reduce or frame it way to understand what modern movement or modern architecture should be yes so he still. was he was more on the way to modern but he's not modern enough from style to be a really big influencer or not influencer but one example for modern art today he's not modern enough Just as we take modern architecture as a one single thing, as mm -hmm. this one narrative, things had get much more complicated with the year and with the, all the revisions made and all the re research done. And I think this canonic idea of modernism and modern architecture is it is and it will be questionable. And he is not just not modern enough. He's and he's proposing another way to modernism. He's proposing another alternative to modernism, but it's really difficult or it's really necessary to make an historiographical revision of his work to mm -hmm. find a place where his work make more sense in a to find a, a place where you could read or analyze his work in a more complex way. And you want to make this revision by researching the connection between Robert Mullet Stevens and another man, Josef Hoffmann from Vienna. Who was he and what is your approach? The approach have came also in my second or third year of uh, research. Because the thing is like from 1911 to 1924, his work has been extremely connected with the Viennese modernism which you could say is connected means it was influenced it looked like or yes I, I would say like I wouldn't use the word influence mm -hmm. because I think it had been used on a way for undergrade Robert Mallet Stephen work just saying like all of this initial formative period from 1911 to 1924 somehow it doesn't count so much because it's just under the influence of Joseph Hoffman as a reductionist okay. way to say it's just based on different influence but it's after 24, 1924 when he developed his own architectural language and way to understand the modernism. But the truth is like it's much complex than that and the thing is like from the French historiography like his early works uh, had been understanding as something not modern enough like which a uh, reference on um, an initial way to understand modernism but something which is not looking to the future which implies a more radical standardization let aside the luxurious apl application of architecture to develop more social projects many different uh, requirements and conditions 
for me it's really interesting to have a very French architect as Malady Steven with most of his work is developed in Paris and in the French context and he's very well related and he came from very well positioned family also related with the Stocklet family which actually have the Palais Stocklet in Belgium and for me the, the most interesting point to understand him is like how it's possible like in a French context coming from a totally different education from the Col de Bossard we have during more than 10 years the work of a Hoffman a Joseph Hoffman a student developing France and the truth is like when you compare in my research now with the works Joseph Hoffman had been done at that period like the truth is he's more related with the students of Hoffman than with Hoffman himself even though they keep a really similar language. And he was in Vienna. He met Hoffman and his students here in Vienna. That we, we don't know. We, did, we never know. There uh, have been a lot of suppositions about it. And one of the things which motivate my stay in Vienna, it's like a letter I found, an edit letter, where we have, for the first time, an evidence of a possible trip of Robert Mallet Stevens to Vienna. Because we, before there had been a lot of suppositions from different researchers and historians. We have say he came for one year in 1910. He was uh, working with uh, Joseph Hoffman in the workshop for one year. Uh, another researcher said it had been for six months, not one year, just before his uh, military service. But they felt like I get access to this letter, unknown letter, which also come to what I was saying in the beginning, like is most of the material is already uh, known, but there are always the possibility to find a small documents and a small parks, which uh, actually you could just build you upon these facts, like uh, your hypothesis and different explanations and the fact like this letter was signed between Hoffman and his uncle uh, Messier Stocklet and uh, Messier Stocklet was basically announcing the coming of his uh, nephew to Vienna Robert Mallet and to asking to Joseph Hoffman and his colleague on the Wienerbergstätte if they could introduce him in the Vienna circle and also asking if uh, they can show him uh, Villa Ast, which is one of the most prominent projects of Hoffman in, in Vienna, and like the different projects developed here during that time. And upon that, I am working on to recreate the trip he did or he could make to, to Vienna and making a more precise analysis on this connection with the Viennese modernism in general, not only Joseph Hoffman, because the truth is like he got related with many different architects and a really complex network as well at that time. And the exchange, the migrations, the analysis between two very different contexts in Paris and in Vienna are, uh, yes, are too complicated just to reduce it or mm -hmm. uh, something as mm -hmm. influence or as just referring to one artist. It was really rich and rich on, on exchange and on 
transitions between one city and another with actually with the research I had found many connections at that time from different artists who go to Paris, uh, architects and artists who came to Vienna for visiting Joseph Hoffman or attracted by the secession uh, environment. So it's really uh, a way for me to propose another narrative on his work, taking distance from the French historiography and base my research on a more exchange analysis or migratorial analysis mm -hmm. between works and how there are these interregional connections between different ways to understand modernism as mm -hmm. well. You somehow already started to answer my next question about the connections between Paris and Vienna at the beginning of the last century, the Fadisiecle and the Cadence. How were they connected? Why did the artists migrate from Paris to Vienna and otherwise and not to other cities? I think before 1925, the, let's say, superior positions were modernism of Paris, which gets very, um, something very clear after the uh, the exhibition in 1925, the exposition de, de in 1925 where Paris is understood for many architects and artists as the center for modernism and for artistic and cultural uh, matters. But before Vienna, it's also developing a very strong way to understand modernism, based of uh, you have the school of Otto Wagner, you have Joseph Hoffman, you have the environment of the secession, which actually are really attracted for many architects around Europe who came to Vienna also to know, to work here as, as students or uh, you have many, many different <laughs> movements at that time because we shouldn't forget like it's a moment when things are, uh, it's the interwar period when things are not as stable as we can understand it now and there were a lot of changes and complexities in history, in politics, and somehow the canonic understanding of the what had happened is reduced a lot all of these connections and make it really uh, sometimes even a national thing based on the French architect for one side, the Viennese modernism for other side, ignoring a bit these connections or like most of Many of the prominent Viennese architects, uh, some of them emigrate to Paris, others emigrate for work. You wrote in the abstract of your thesis that Hoffman, at least in his early works, followed a La Poula um, approach or ideology. In my understanding, as far as I can remember from my studies, La Poula means art just for doing the art. But mm -hmm. in my opinion, architecture is always somehow functional because mm -hmm. you don't build a building without wanting someone to be inside or so. Mm -hmm. So how is a La Poula ideology looking in architecture? I think somehow like um, even the earliest modernist architects have a strong awareness of function, maybe not in the way we mostly understand, which is picturing as uh, functionalism as the way Bauhaus, for example, understood, or after it, like what the international, this 
international movement which is already created from the states and from different institutions there understood as what this will be modern architecture and bring you a already clean up list with certain architects and certain projects which actually represent what a modern movement is or modern design and the thing is like from the 19th century to the beginning of the 20th century you already can find awareness of and the necessity to add this certain functionalism on architecture and they are they are behind many architects have already like uh, on mind on their projects different solutions to that problematic question of how understand how to uh, relate uh, the different styles with the need for fun functionalism and you have also all the movement which proclaimed the, the needs of a hygienic approach in the interiors in the materials in the way you uh, distribute the house the way you just organize the facade on the different uh, windows or entrance to the houses and all of that is a i think a long process which uh, is very related with the technical advances of the time and with the the, the machine and the industry brings the the technical possibility to to actually make possible these changes on the project and and to propose a different solutions to to problems would actually have been present in architecture for centuries and basically for example for understand the work of Robert Mallet steam is really important from the beginning to have in mind the importance of the material like they are all of them working with beton beton armé which is the material basically which which makes possible all of these uh, new forms mm. and new volumes and open spaces and uh, different distribution of the floor plan and until that moment is something that was not available in a technical way there were also four years of world war how did this period influence or um, force the architects to build more functional buildings or so how was this related I think was really complicated <laughs> for most of the architects. Also before we have the big crisis in 1929, which actually affects, in, at least in France, in 1930, and uh, already like turned down many projects they were supposed to be made. And um, during, the inter during the war, actually, I think most of the projects were like not realized and m many of the architects were just trying to to survive for example Robert Mallet Stephen was uh, living in South France because his wife was uh, Jewish and they were just trying to to survive basically but uh, it's true like during the inter during the war period and after it the reconstruction Many architects, which actually they got a prominent position or they took a bit advantage of the situation, and could, could say even a bit like Joseph Hoffman, <laughs> which actually took a bit uh, advantage of the situation. Many of his Jewish colleagues, they were not anymore and they were resiliated. It definitely was a really uh, dark time and it's. Yeah, it's present for sure in 
in the way you need to understand how things had been made also had been understood in history afterward. I went through a list of Joseph Hoffman's buildings, which he built during his career, and most of them are not preserved or were demolished somewhere in the last hundred years. How does a city change in hundred years for you as a researcher in architectural history? I think in my personal opinion is there are much more awareness like 10 years before on the need to preserve modern architecture as patrimony, as a national patrimony. But I think it's still a lot of work to do because uh, we we come back again to the to the main question like which which of these modern architects should have the right to be preserved or what are interesting enough to be preserved and this is a still basic founding their base on the and, history on and who decides who should be preserved or who decides you said it before a little bit who decides who is important or who will be important That's, that's, I think, one of the main reasons I am researching on Robert Mallet Stevens, which had been a really mistreated figure by the architectural historiography and by history, which had been ignored for years. And he and many others, uh, Pierre Charot, Charlotte Perriand, many other uh, figures, which now they are getting again more interest but for years it had been absolutely ignored and the more absolutely darkness and I think as a cultural worker and also as a researcher just being able to put to put together certain connections to put together certain ways to understand a situation and with that propose a different way to understand things to different way to a different narrative of a time which is way more complex than what historiography is actually telling and which is more rich and, and dirty also in the way like things are not so clear there are not this continuity sometimes there are breaks sometimes there are different ways to understand things depends in which position you are from an also national point of view or so coming back to your question The preservation of buildings depends a lot also on how valuable society and institutions and patrimony and history understand the work of an architect. For example, right now it will be impossible to turn down a house of Hoffman. Depends probably some some of the project at least. But there are other modern architects as Oscar Struna, which actually was working at the same time as Hoffman, which are really extraordinary work and really avant-garde ideas in Vienna. And one of his houses outside Vienna is or right now under a fully reconstruction of Interprise, which is trying to reveal mm -hmm. the whole thing. So this is still happened. It's through the awareness and the protection have increased in the last years. For example, on Robert Mallet Stevens, There are new buildings who have been restored and uh, protected. There are a famous villa in North France, in Lille, uh, Villa Caprois, which had been restored for several years with an enormous amount of uh, money for the restoration. And actually, you could visit it now as it used to be in fully detailed. Yes, I think this is also one of the main reasons of 
how important researching is for this for on, on architecture because it creates awareness but at the same time as much evidence and knowledge does it raise yeah. awareness in the in a very small community of architectural histori historians or in the broader public or is it enough to raise awareness through research let's say it like that i think it's the beginning mm. is the beginning to make also a more general public aware of the importance of patrimony and not only certain kind of patrimony of also like buildings which many people don't feel related with because the way they understand architecture but just for sure i think this is bringing to another place of how sometimes researching is really disconnected with reality or with society or with like a public which actually don't know so much about the subject but which could have an interest also in it but there are always this small break this small gap in between and I think research is always the beginning for like a good at least a good way to start to create awareness because after certain research uh, after the material is found sometimes uh, different scholars or researchers produce a more general generalistic uh, publication which actually creates interest on the public and people get aware of how important it is and If someone in 100 years, or maybe a research scholar like you, takes a look back at architecture from the 2000s, what do you think he will see? Difficult to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the way we react to history is really something based on repetition. I think it would be much different than what actually happened now with like words to, to which we have already 100 years of distance. I think this dilemma of what is good architecture, what is not good architecture, what needs to be preserved, what not, how which are the different paths architecture should follow, it will be always present. And today it's even more complex because there are different factors, conditions, styles, everything is is uh, need to be understood in a more global way as well, at least on the Western. And... Yes, I think will be. It's actually impossible just to 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 put myself 100 years ahead <laughs> and think how how I will perceive uh, contemporary architecture as a uh, how I will receive that contemporary architecture right now as an historian as an historian and as an historiographical matter as well. Is the architecture from now? is built in the last 20, 30 years more functional than 100 years ago because when I see new buildings who are said architectural houses they most look like cubes or they're not really like 100 years ago very um, mm -hmm. I don't know how decor, a lot of gimmicks, decor and all that so, stuff mm -hmm. it's, it looks much more functional today mm -hmm. I think like responding a bit to the question like what it had became more homogenic is the aesthetic like after the 40s 50s like the modern aesthetic of architecture had became something more like a trend like something which you could apply with actually as a style 
which I think is it applied today for many um, pseudo architecture we we live surrounded by. But I think I think things have haven't changed so much. There are always more interesting projects, and there are uh, as well projects which have not interest at all. And I think it's not much different as it used to be. You could find really fantastic projects and will be really difficult to compare with uh, a project 100 years ago. But in terms of functionalism, I think the questions behind the problems which architecture are confronting today are very different of what they used to be. And yeah, cert certain of the certain questions which move actually all these early modern architects it had been resolved through time, but also some of them are not relevant anymore. And at the same time, you could find other questions which are relevant and more relevant right now than ever. And I think we still can learn so much through all of these projects and the way they resolve things, the level of sophistication in the way they thought the project or they resolve it or they... Um, think the connection between architecture and the tenant and yes I, I a bit related with what you said I, I think when I met uh, architectural students today um, I always feel there are uh, enormous lack of knowledge on architectural history besides uh, certain iconics or besides certain examples which are always teach by the different professors for many of them it's not even mandatory to have like architectural history on the their degree yes i am always wondering like which are the consequences of that also in, in the in the quality of architecture we have today i think you can sometimes you cannot stop yourself to think like how is possible we are on this state when we have achieved so much in the last 100 years mm -hmm. and we are still producing such a poor result, architectural result. And sometimes this pseudo-architecture, which we all know and which sometimes we even live in. And it's definitely a mm -hmm. question. I think we can't answer it right now, the question. <laughs> no, but it's definitely present. Also, yeah. as a yeah. researcher, when you go through all these yeah. pro different projects and sometimes are even the small details to, to everyday life or the way they resolve or the, even the thought behind uh, very small decisions on the project or on uh, an interior or small detail on, on furniture on a chair on, and, and you decide you, you think how much thoughts were behind that how much knowledge and also critical position was, were behind that all of that which we could understand how as uh, knowledge we already could assume and work upon with, uh, sometimes it's lost when you just feel like how poorly resolved we can achieve now, even though we st we have many references on architectural history we could take or uh, work on it. But I think it's a really general question anyway. I wouldn't know to... Yeah. how to respond precisely. We're coming to an end. My last question is always the same. And as you said, you are 
at the way to the end of your PhD, what are your plans for the future? I have plans for the short-term future, which is actually finish the thesis, <laughs> <laughs> which is already a big plan. <laughs> I am on my last month, I guess around like six, seven months, I will be already presenting at least the full uh, thesis will be complete. And um, yes, for the future, <laughs> I, I just hope like uh, I can achieve certain results on it and like these different connections I am putting together like bring a small step on the on the way we understand uh, Robert Mallet Stevens work and proposing this other way to understand his architecture and his position on on the architectural history. Okay, Adrian, thank you very much and good luck with your with the finishing of your PhD and your whatever you are doing afterwards. Thank you very <laughs> much. Enjoy your stay a in Vienna. Alumni Audio Lab.